Well, it's the May long weekend, which uh, for those of us worshiping in person here in the sanctuary, I think we could sort of tell um, by the crowd that's here. Um, but I, I trust that this means there are lots of people um, filling churches in cottage country and worshiping God in the sanctuary, which is nature this weekend. And I'm really glad that we're here together and we have visitors among us this weekend visiting Toronto and so many people joining us online as well. It's not just the May long weekend this weekend. This is also the last Sunday in Eastertide. Eastertide is the season when the church remembers the ministry of the resurrected Christ before his ascension to heaven. This morning, this last Sunday of Eastertide, we have heard an alternative account of the Easter story one that we don't dare read on Easter Sunday, but it feels apt to include in this season of Easter. We join this morning two disciples who are on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They, like we do every Easter, are talking about all the things that have happened. And as they discuss this story, they are joined by Jesus. We also believe that we are joined by the Lord this morning. But these men, they have Jesus walk up beside them, physically present to them, and they're kept from recognizing him. He asks them what the topic of their conversation is, and they stand still, their faces downcast. Truly, this is a part of Resurrection Sunday, which we seldom discuss, that on the same day that the Lord was raised and the grave was overcome, disciples were dismayed. Now, we might be quick to excuse this mood. Perhaps they still haven't heard of the resurrection. Even the women walked to the tomb that morning in sorrow and solemnity. But as they recount the story of the Lord's rising to him, unaware that it is him that they speak to, they reveal that they have been amazed by the women's reports. They've heard there's no body. They've heard the testimony of the angels. They have been told that Jesus is alive. And still, their faces are downcast. So our next guess might be that perhaps they didn't believe these women. Maybe they've written off the first witnesses to the resurrection as hysterical. But even this doesn't hold because some of their friends, they say, went to the tomb and confirmed the story. The tomb was empty, just as the women said. Jesus was nowhere to be seen. They know all of this and yet their faces are downcast. They know all of this, and yet they are leaving Jerusalem, leaving their friends, returning home to Emmaus. They're not just sad. They've given up on the mission. They've lost hope in whatever it is that they've been imagining Jesus would mean for them and for the world. As they said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They had hoped for something which they now believe will not happen. Their hope has faltered and their vision for the future is lost. They're moving on with their lives. They're going back to Emmaus. A few weeks ago, we heard about how Peter went back to being a fisherman and led some of the other disciples back to their boat. 
we heard about how those men needed Jesus to call them back to the lives that he meant them to live. And now we see again that other disciples seem to have taken that same posture. Even with the news of resurrection offered to them, they decided, you know what, we'll just go back home. I wonder how many of us are in a similar place in our walk with Jesus, have been in a similar place with our faith in recent weeks. We together had the opportunity to celebrate Easter Sunday with such joy, and yet even hearing the good news of Jesus' rising from the dead and hearing the testimony of some of the people in our own church community about how that has impacted and changed their lives, we also find ourselves with downcast faces at times. We also aren't so sure about this resurrection business, aren't so sure what the community that follows Jesus together has to do with us anymore, aren't so convinced that this good news that we once believed about Jesus or the good news that others still cling to about him is in fact good news for us at all. Perhaps we too have been walking our own road to Emmaus, our own road to places and ways of being which we were once familiar with, but are not what we have been invited to by our Lord. These disciples are not just sad. These disciples are dismayed. They are dismayed because they have known Jesus' wisdom and power firsthand. And yet they've also seen the evil of the world firsthand as well. They don't know how to reconcile these two things. How do you reconcile a mighty prophet from God and his brutal murder at the hands of his own people? Even with the news of resurrection, how does that explain the death that Jesus suffered at the hands of their own rulers? That's the thing. It was their own rulers. It was their own people. It was people who they should have been able to trust who executed a great and powerful prophet. And even resurrection can't undo this shift they've experienced in their worldview in recent days. It can't make them forget this evil that they've seen. They had hoped that Jesus might redeem Israel. But even if he is raised from the dead, Israel probably seems beyond redemption at this point because of the violence and the evil that they've witnessed just that last week. Maybe Israel, maybe the world is just broken beyond repair. And maybe that resonates for some of us today. In recent weeks, we too have been confronted again and again by how some of our own rulers, how some leaders in the church ha who many have admired and looked up to have harmed the most vulnerable who they were serving. In recent days, we have been reminded of the horrors of hatred and violence in our world. After a racially motivated shooting in a black community in Buffalo, New York, only a week ago Saturday, and then last Sunday, a politically motivated shooting at a Taiwanese Presbyterian church in Laguna Woods, California. There is great evil in our world, too. And I'm sure we wonder, why do these things happen? 
how is the world still this way? How can resurrection possibly be real when this is the story of our world and this is the story of our lives? To such a degree that we're not even shocked by it anymore. These are the kinds of questions which may have been in the disciples' minds as their faces were downcast, as they reflected on the hard events of the last week in their lives, and as they struggled to find hope or good news in the word of resurrection themselves. Jesus responds, and you know it might sound harsh at first, because he says how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wow. I'm still new to a lot of this pastoring business, but I have to say that's not the kind of usual gentle pastoral counsel that most people are hoping for when they're trapped in a pit of despair. That's not the tone that we really expect our leaders to take, probably not that we expected Jesus to take. But he continues, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Jesus is asking, didn't you know that this was coming? Didn't you know that suffering is followed by glory? Didn't you know? Now let me be clear. Jesus isn't saying that it's good that the chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be executed. And I'm not saying today that the evil we see in our world is good either. What Jesus does here is he reminds his disciples of hope. He reminds his disciples that there's something that comes after the suffering. That their hope wasn't in the chief priests to be morally upright. And our hope today isn't in pastors and religious leaders in being perfect examples of Jesus either, because we're not. And he reminds them that their hope was not in their rulers and the crowds desiring mercy more than the execution which they sought. Nor is our hope in our society finally eschewing all forms of hatred and malice. These things are not the things that our hope is in. These are the sufferings which we know will happen. And that they would suddenly stop is not our hope either. Rather, Jesus points to the hope of his glory as the thing which should have held them fast in those dark days. And it is that same hope of glory which holds us fast as well. It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus takes the scriptures of the Jewish people and he reinterprets them to explain the work of the Messiah. And in the work of the Messiah, we find the very story of the whole world the story of all creation, that by the work of the word of God, the Son, Jesus Christ, all things were made. And through the work of the word of God made flesh, all things will be made new again. This is the promise of the scriptures. This was the hope of Moses. This was the testimony of the prophets and the angels. This is the gospel of our Lord. And this is our only hope, even when we have no reason to hope anymore. These disciples on the road, they have been confronted by hope again. More than that, they have been confronted by the one who is hope 
himself. In our story, when they'd arrived at Emmaus, they welcomed Jesus in to stay with them. Obviously, despite what we might have thought is a pastoral faux pas, he's left a positive impression. Despite opening with how foolish you are, his confronting these men with the source of their hope has been welcomed as they now welcome him. And they share a meal together. Jesus, who is the invited guest at this table, assumes the role of the host for these disciples of his, even as he is always the host, bidden or unbidden at every meal which we share together. And as he does those familiar actions of taking bread, of giving thanks, of breaking it and sharing it, suddenly their eyes are opened. They have seen the Lord. And they ask, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us? Words of truth, words of life, words of hope. These things always have an uncanny ability to move us. We long for them and they shatter all the pretense of darkness and despair which can so easily encase our hearts. Jesus was speaking to his friends about the world that they longed for, the world that we all still long for. The world that they wanted so badly that when they heard about it, their hearts ached for it. They'd been so resigned to the cold of dreams lost and hopes abandoned that when Jesus offers resurrection life to these things too, they feel a warmth in their chests and life returns to these men. The last time I had the opportunity to preach this text, was this past August, and it was at the funeral service for a beloved member of our church, Margie Mackay. Many of you didn't know Margie, but she was 102 when she fell asleep in the Lord, and she was the granddaughter of George Leslie Mackay, a Canadian Presbyterian missionary to Taiwan. Were it not for the work of Margie's family through multiple generations, there would probably be no Taiwanese Presbyterians. Then, as I was reflecting on this text again this week, it was alongside the suffering of Taiwanese Presbyterians in California. So I wanted to share something that I shared at Margie's funeral and I think speaks to the evil that we still see in our world, the evil that caused such suffering to our brothers and sisters at that Taiwanese Presbyterian church. I shared about this look that Margie had in her eyes this look that she had when she looked at you where you knew that she saw you and she saw you with wide-eyed wonder. This look was piercing and amazing. And at her funeral, guided by this text, I wondered if Margie was discerning the very presence of Christ in those who she spoke with as she shared her gaze. I wondered if, as the eyes of these disciples could be so open to the presence of Jesus beside them, can ours be too? I'm certain there would be far less violence and far less hatred in our world if we saw the image of God even in our enemies. And if we could see the presence of Jesus even in strangers on the street. 
I wonder about how when we share meals with each other, Christ still reveals himself to us at those tables too and continues to welcome us into his community of love and into deeper anticipation of his glory, the glory which all creation will one day know, the glory of the great feast in God's coming kingdom when the presence of God will be the light by which we see and understand all things. No sooner have the disciples recognized him than Jesus disappears. A glimpse of glory, just a flicker of hope. But for these men, having traveled the whole day to get back to where they were before all that following Jesus business, that glimpse of glory and that flicker of hope were more than enough. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They didn't need to be told to go back. They knew where they belonged. It was already late, but they didn't care about the danger anymore. They had spent the whole day getting to Emmaus, but they suddenly realized Emmaus was not the place they needed to be. They returned to the place where their community was, returned to the people with whom they had last known and experienced hope. And with that tiny flame of hope alive in them again, warmed by the promise of the scripture, eyes opened by the breaking of bread, they know that this needs to be shared and that the glory they're still longing for, well, it's well worth the wait. Now, none of this undid for them the evil that they'd experienced in the last week. Nor does this undo for us the evil which we have mourned in recent seasons. But a flame of hope has been rekindled. Hope no longer founded on the world being a good place, but now founded on God being a good God, who shows up on dark and lonely roads and gives us a glimpse of the joy of our hearts, encourages us that it is all that we need, and frees us even from downcast faces, to go and to share our hope with others. Dear friends, don't you know that suffering is followed by glory? Haven't you heard that the one by whose word all things have been made became flesh, lived among us, suffered the same evils which we now grieve so that he could overcome them? and reveal his glory. Don't you know that his glory is your glory too? And, that the, and it is the glory which will be the recreation of the whole world. This and this alone is our hope, today and evermore. Amen. We want to leave some space for you to reflect and so a few different questions that you might just pick one to linger on. The first is, what other than God have you placed your hope in? And secondly, pray that Jesus confronts us with his better hope and that we would have eyes to see him near to us. And third, consider the ways, uh, consider the places where you can share the hope of Jesus with those who have lost hope. So these are questions you can take with you through the week, but right now, a couple of minutes to reflect on what the Spirit might have been saying to you and to us as a church in this time.